This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. Expend the energy on what you can control. So spending that time as well to identify what works for you in terms of your self-care, your boundaries um, and your um, what will fill your cup like with the good stuff taking that time away and prioritizing yourself will pay back tenfold this is the luminaries on the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep there have been many silver linings of covid but one in particular has been the focus on mental health and mental illness awareness not just in the hospitality sector, but in society too. Traditionally, it's been a taboo subject for the industry, but the importance of workplace culture and how good mental health can transform a workplace is more evident than ever before. But how do employees and employers navigate this for the betterment of everyone? Bianca Welsh is the co-owner and restaurateur of Stillwater Restaurant and Seven Rooms, and Black Cow Bistro in Launceston, Tasmania. Bianca, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Huck. You've been a business owner since the age of 21. How, how different are you compared to back then, if you look back? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I think completely different. I've learned a lot in that time, um, and I'd like to think that I'm much better for it as well. Well, take us back to that time. It's quite a young age to start a business. How did it, how did that come about and how did you feel at that time? Uh, I felt a bit overwhelmed and I think I was on the cusp of realising that, you know, coming out of teenage years and then going into your early 20s going, oh, I don't actually know it all and I need to relearn everything again. Um, I was of that mindset, I think, of that old world style of management because that's how I had been managed myself. So that was often the, um, you know, the yelling and screaming type of demanding uh, authority you know, very dictatorship style of management. And I had been um, a casual shift manager at McDonald's earlier uh, in my working life. And I thought that that was the most effective way. And then coming into restaurants and experiencing that um, style of management myself, I went, actually, this is not, you're not going to get the best out of me from speaking to me like that or um, demanding uh, a certain work ethic from that. And I guess once we started to become owners um, ourselves, my husband and I and my other business partners, we really, it was very fresh in our minds how we didn't want to be treated and how not to treat our team. And so we really took a lot of, um, I guess, time to um reflect and understand how we wanted to run our teams and continually evolve and improve um, has, I guess, always been our mantra. How did a 21-year-old come to um, be a part owner of a business? Uh, I'd like to think that it's being, is, is by working on relationships and 
yes, it is being in the right place at the right time, but by establishing really good relationships with people around you and working really hard to be in a position to be recognised and offered an opportunity um, is, I, I believe, how we became owners of businesses at such a young age um, and to be recognised as well beyond your years. Um, I definitely connect with people of all ages when you just can't really ascertain their age, um, you know, and, and the way that older people perhaps, um, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s that have decades more experience than you, um, but they treat you with so much respect and that they can still learn from you are those people that I love to surround myself with and I try to do the same. So I think um, we had worked so hard on building really good relationships with our mentors was how we were able to be offered an opportunity because of that trust and mutual respect. Tell us a bit about the businesses that you have at the moment. You've been a part of them and their growth for for quite some time. Um, but what, what, what sort of change and growth has the business had in the years that you've had it? So Black Cow started in 2008, December 08. We opened like a couple of, oh, I think a week before Christmas. And that has gone from strength to strength and has become well recognised as a great steakhouse, um, not only in our state, but I hope that it's recognised across Australia. Um, and that's, uh, you know, we went from a five-night operation to a seven-night operation. Obviously, things have changed since COVID and we're back to five nights. But that that restaurant just kind of runs itself. It, we've, we've established such great systems and policies and a great team down there that it just it just hums along. It's like the favourite little child, really. Um, and then Stillwater was all, always had a lot of potential for a lot more growth. So the restaurant was established in um, the year 2000 and we took it on in 2010. Um, and from that, we've been recognised with um, a hat when the guide went national, which we were over the moon with um, to be compared to our peers and the people that we look up to and um, admire in the big cities. You know, when you're in little old Launceston in Tassie, you kind of feel like you're um, you're kind of on the outer a little bit in terms of the hospitality scene. So we grew... Um, uh, I guess revenue-wise, we, we've we've increased every year, um, and then we took on uh, a providorian gallery space that was located above the restaurant, which had never been within the restaurant's remit. It had had different owners, and it, it, there was an opportunity to take that on, um, and that was great. That was in 2014, and that was um, a fun but interesting time dealing with artists and becoming a retailer um, and. I enjoyed the creative outlet it was to do the buying and, you know, the merchandising and that sort of stuff. Um, it was a nice break from the restaurant. And then in 2018, we um, closed that down to develop some accommodation on site as we felt that that was a better use of the space as kind of food retail was, I guess, dying a slow death in trying to, comp- trying to compete with the larger organisations out there that do it very well. Um and so we developed seven boutique rooms and we've received you know, national recognition for that and our rooms are fitted out with pretty much all Tasmanian um, 
furniture, produce, even the beds are made in Tassie, um, art, uh, you know, it's, it's the jewel in our crown. We're very proud of what we've created. Um, and to really create an experience. And I suppose that's what we really wanted to make Stillwater and enhance that. It wasn't just coming to eat and drink. We really wanted it to be an experience. And so arming our team with as much knowledge as possible to take our guests on on a journey, be it if they're coming in for a coffee or five-course degustation, we really want to be able to communicate well and, and humbly and, um, and as down-to-earth as we can about where this amazing produce is from, who made it, why they made it, um, has been... I guess a really important part of our ethos here. You're uh, heavily uh, involved with the community, and you're on uh, numerous boards with the Launceston um, Launceston Chamber of Commerce. Um, tell tell us about Launceston, um, the the area, the produce of the area, and the connections that you have, and what makes it so special to you. I think there's something. Uh, I guess everyone probably feels it in their hometown that they're you know, that sense of pride. But I think in the last particularly 10 years of, of Tasmania and in Launceston, Launceston's finally become kind of cool. Launceston was always seen as kind of the butt of the joke. Um, you know, Tasmania was the butt of the joke of Australia, but Launceston was even more so than, than Hobart. Um, you know, we're a really small community. It's uh, about 80,000 is the population of Launceston, so 100,000 if you count the greater parts of the of the town. Uh, and that's like a, you know, that would be not even uh, a quarter of a suburb in Melbourne or Sydney. Um, so it's a very close-knit community and a lot of, I think, the land that we get to live on and produce from um, is just so abundant that it creates these amazing people that are really passionate about what they do um, and people that have, I guess, the time to enjoy it. I think you can get a great work-life balance in Launceston. Everyone lives only a few minutes away. Like we think it's, um, we think it's quite remarkable if someone lives out of town, which means 15 minutes down the river is like, Oh wow. Like how do you, how do you go with the commute in? Um, yeah, Launceston is a, I think it's a very special place and I'm very grateful to be in a town that has so many incredible organisations. Like there's just so many not-for-profits, so many charitable um, people out there that are doing really amazing things and not just for our doorstep but for the greater good of the state as well as the country. Um, and to be in the heart of the produce scene and to be able to share that with our guests is really special. And the spotlight, I guess, has really come back to slowing down, particularly during COVID um, and to appreciate those good things in life, which are food and drinks. Um, Yeah. It's a really nice community to be a part of. It certainly has its negatives as well. I mean, small towns always do Um, everywhere always has their pros and cons. Uh, but I'm very grateful to have what we have in Launceston. Stillwater and Black Cow Bistro, as you mentioned, have been uh, recognised um, as some some of the best restaurants, certainly in Tasmania and in Australia as well. 
what's the drive behind everything that you do? You've been recognised as Young Professional of the Year, Young Restaurateur of the Year, numerous accolades as well. What, what, what is the drive to maintain the business at the level that it's at? I think we've always wanted to do things with a level of integrity and a level of uh, just genuine genuineness, I guess, in that uh, I've been talking about this just recently with my husband who just completed a short leadership course with a great organisation called TAS Leaders and it was born out of government um, with, with state growth and it's graduated a, a, like over 500 people in the state um, with leadership skills. And uh, there was an exercise they had to do where you had to pick from like over 100 different values of what your two, it's a, it's a Brené Brown, sorry, um, concept and you pick two values and that's it. You can only pick two. And I was thinking about this just the last couple of days of what my values are. And I think it is integrity and empathy. And I guess that's the ethos of the restaurants that everything that we do, we want to be from a genuine, passionate producer we want to deliver it in an honest way. We don't, I, you know, when I train the waiters, I always say, if you don't know the answer to a question a guest asks you, I want you to say, I don't know, and go and find the right answer. I don't want this ego-driven, make it up on the spot so you, you look like you know everything. I think that my husband and I, we love dining out and the experiences that we have um, enjoyed the most and are the most memorable are those that are really, really down to earth and just hit you in the right spot in your heart sort of thing, which sounds really corny. Um, but that's what we want to emulate as well. So it's just uh, not trying to be the coolest kid on the block, which has taken us quite a few years to be okay with. Uh, I think when there's lots of trendy places that are getting sort of all the press and all the all the social posts and all that sort of stuff, you can sort of feel like, oh, we're not we're not cool. Um, I think we finally come to terms with that. What we want to do is just to have a really great place for our people to work at. I want everyone who walks in the door that works in the team to want to come to work, and then that flows onto the guest, and that we want to serve produce that we want to eat and dishes that we want to eat and in a way that we would want to enjoy it ourselves. What's, what are some of the challenges involved in running a restaurant of the calibre of the, your restaurants in a, in a uh, destination location reliant on tourism as well as locals? Um, and, and has that changed in the last year and a half much with COVID? I think some of the biggest challenges are obviously consistency. Um, consistency and never resting on your laurels and that's a high one that we always communicate to our team as well that we never want to rest on our laurels just because we've had recognition or we got an award tomorrow is another day a guest walking in the door is another guest we need to go above and beyond to please um so that i think is the biggest challenge and that comes then with a lot of other facets so that's keeping your staff engaged and motivated it's keeping an eye on produce it's keeping an eye on costs on prices on um on suppliers invoicing you the correct amount um or the uh, the amount you've agreed upon um 
making sure that the produce is of top quality that you're always constantly tasting and um, constantly checking that it's the right vintage that you wanted to order and all that sort of stuff is we never want to become take our eye off the ball there or become lax in that area. Um, and I think if anything, it's probably become even more exacerbated since COVID because people are probably a little bit more cautious of where they're going out. Uh, they expect probably a little bit more in an experience and because they're perhaps, um, what's the, how can I describe it? That they're, because people haven't been able to travel as much uh, and get out and about, I think their expectations are, they're almost higher, which kind of sounds silly that it would be higher. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. I think I mean, and then might need to stop and start that again. Um, I think the expectation has just gotten higher because people, I think, are choosing. People, are, I guess, are perhaps a little bit more careful where they're spending their dollars since COVID and choosing a bit more carefully where they're dining out. Um, and so, I guess, we need to deliver even more because they're our locals. We rely on them more than ever. We can't expect those droves of tourists that are one hit wonders. They dine in your restaurant once and then they're gone. People that are coming to you much more regularly, you need to work harder to keep them coming regularly. So I think that that has been um, felt in the industry that we've got to work a little bit harder for our dollars. This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is all about the connection. A business starts with passion, but gets bogged down with all the complexities that come with life, society, and rules. If you can simplify this mundane, then people can be happy and they can thrive. And when you have happy staff members and happy managers, your customers will sense it. They'll be happy and you create that connection. That connection is hospitality is about. For more information, go to deputy.com. I know you're very um, involved in training with your staff and mentoring as well. How much has the culture in hospitality changed in the time that you've been in the industry? The culture's changed quite a lot in many ways. I think it is slowly becoming a much more respected um, job or um, it's become a much more respected industry to work in. Um, the culture has changed from that old world to the new world and now it is not acceptable to have a chef yell and scream at you or a manager yell and scream at you or dress you down in front of the rest of the team or in front of a customer. It's now we're much more educated and the, the workers are much more educated in how they should be treated um, I think it's become a lot more positive in ways. Um, yeah, I think it. I think it's it's moving towards a better culture than it ever has before. And I think COVID has shone a light on it to become even 
better as we rebuild after this crazy couple of years. Mental health has been a real focus of this period of time and particularly in the hospitality industry, but the industry has is renowned for um, mental health issues and not confronting them. Um, tell us about your approach uh, and and when you sort of decided to take mental health on um, to, for change. I was a year into my. Uh, I was a year into owning and running Stillwater as. Um, the restaurateur as opposed to having worked here. So I'd worked at Stillwater for a few years before becoming an owner Um, and I had a really great employee that was experiencing um, a really great employee that was like 110% type of employee, your A grade, would casual but would turn up always punctual. They knew their menu. They knew what they had to do. They delivered above and beyond and then their behaviour began to change and their ability to do their job waned and they became forgetful, unreliable. They were sort of calling in sick. They were going missing in the middle of a shift and it became known to us that this person was suffering from an eating disorder. And because it was happening, the binging and purging was happening on shift and I knew I needed to do something and I didn't know what to do and this was like over a decade ago now. So I Googled what I could, nothing. I I just didn't have the right resources or knowledge at the time to know where to go. Um, I sat on it for weeks. Like it took me almost six weeks to build up the courage to have a conversation with this person. And um, I was so stressed out about it. And I eventually had just a really broad chat with them and said, you know, we've noticed sort of behaviours that we're concerned about and are you okay, what's going on? And um, I didn't want to do what normally happens in hospitality, which is you just sort of write them out of the roster, particularly if they're casual. I wanted to try and help this person because they were such a valuable team member. Um, And I was really fortunate that, I mean, the, the conversation at the time didn't exactly go how I'd pictured it in my head. They were kind of, in a bit of denial at, at that at that conversation, they went away and came and messaged me the next day with a really long text message to say, thank you so much for having that chat with me. I've been in complete denial about what's going on. I've got some stressful things happening outside of work. And um, uh, this was an issue that I had suffered with um, when I was younger and it's, it's, it's come back because of the stress I'm, I'm facing at the moment. So I'm going to my doctor, I'm going to get help. And they got back on track. They stayed with us for like another, almost another year working and then went off and became a medical doctor themselves. Um, and I still, you know, I'm still in contact with them today. And that just gave me, it buoyed me to go, okay, this stuff's not going to go away. I was able to retain someone really great just by having a conversation with them. What more can I learn and what more can I know? So that was when I enrolled in a Bachelor of Behavioural Science, so an undergrad psychology degree, and I studied that part-time and I really enjoyed being able to apply the academic knowledge and education and research and kind of, I guess, experiment really with the information that I was learning at uni and being able to how to apply that practically in the workplace. And so it took me seven kind of academic years to complete the degree. Um, but 
I just kept learning so much that was so applicable to every, every facet of my life. And, um, my, my husband suffers, um, greatly from mental illness and he'd be, he'd be comfortable with me talking about this. Um, it's a story and it's a journey that he's wanting to find his own way of, of sharing that. But I, I guess I'm really fortunate that he's allowed me to be a bit of a conduit to share his story. And we went through, we've been through Helen back with his journey. And it's a really long, like over a decade's journey of um, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And so many people that know my husband would never, ever guess he's that larrikin, confident, talented sommelier that you would never think is, is really struggling behind closed doors. And um, at his worst, he was um, going to stay at a private hospital. We've been through over 20 different medications with him, um, different psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors. Um, he's finally at a point where he's really good and he's um, learnt a lot and we liken the brain to strengthening a muscle. I mean, it is a muscle, but it's kind of like training um, at the gym and the better you get at it, the more you stick at it, um, the stronger that muscle will get. And that, that we attribute as to why he's able to be quite well at the moment. Um, but it's always, it's an up and down journey. And I guess at the, at his worst, the, um, for me, I guess as carer, um, of him was the suicidal ideation. Um, and that, I, I talk about this often. I've just become a mental health first aid instructor and, and a large part of that course is talking about suicide. And I, and I always choke up um, at that point and I've done it so many times now. Um, it still is really confronting um, to know that the person you love and care for the most um, just wants it all to end. But I'm very grateful for us going through that together um, because it's helped me really, really understand mental health. So from my personal and professional experiences um, and supporting so many people through the restaurant and we've been able to retain and have them work to some capacity that they're comfortable with and to then maybe get on top of what they're struggling with and to come back even better through things such as bipolar and substance addiction um, of course, substance misuse is a big one, um, grief, trauma, rape, suicide, sexual assault. There's been so many things that we've tried to be supportive with with our team. Um, and then also my husband's journey is I feel like um, I'm in a really good place to try and translate all of that experience and all of that knowledge now to make our workplace the best it possibly can be but also to share that information with other employers um, and the industry in general so that we can really turn the mental health of our industry around because hospitality has always been viewed as being so negative and really bad in this space. And I've probably gone way off topic from your question, Huck, but, um, yeah, it's something that I can talk endlessly about I could talk about mental health and all the things that come with it for hours on end about um uh, James and I love analogies and of all the different analogies out there um 
that are relevant to hospitality and mental illness and mental health. Well, given um, your vast experience, both personal and professional, and, and what you've implemented as a, as a restaurateur and manager, what, what sort of advice do you have for people in the industry, um, whether they are dealing with um, mental health issues or, de- or trying to deal with someone that has um, some issues? Mm. It's definitely not to go out and get a psychology degree <laughs> like that because that was madness. And that possibly was um, it could have gone very it could it, it could have had a negative outcome because I could have um, like I guess I guess the time the neglect of time on our business um, on our relationship on my own health and well-being like uni is just I saw it's a good meme of um, university is like riding a bike but the bike is on fire and you're in hell like it's <laughs> it is pretty pretty accurate um, but I've got uh, I guess I've gotten to the point where we've got an amazing team and amazing support and great family network so I'm very grateful for that so to start with it's not um, people don't need to have a, a degree in psychology or really any um, any formal education. It really boils down to just being understanding what empathy means versus sympathy and to slow down, to take the time to listen, to remove judgment from your mind, your biases, and to not take things personally, which is really hard in hospitality because we're all very passionate about what we do. I think anyone that works in hospitality, we're, we're undiagnosed control freaks um, because we love to have control of our situations. Particularly when you run your own business, I think you are the next level of a control freak. And, um, and that's not a formal medical diagnosis, I should say. Um, <laughs> but we're of a personality type that I think likes to have control and to remove the fact that if someone's having an issue, it's 99% of the time got nothing to do with you or your workplace. It's got something to do with what's going on in their own mind, um, historical trauma, undiagnosed mental illness, poor mental health, um, it could be so many other things that if you can walk alongside them rather than try to fix them can go a massive way. So my most important advice is listen, have empathy and no judgment, but also to then take it the next step and educate yourself to a degree that you're comfortable with and that you can understand implicitly. So um, that could be by listening to podcasts. It could be by doing some short courses like mental health first aid, I think is the gold standard. And I could talk about how passionate I am about that, that content and that course and how important it is. It would be my dream that it's viewed as important as physical first aid and that it is expected across all industries, but particularly hospitality, excuse me, that every single workplace has at least one mental health first aider in their ranks um, is, would be a, a dream of mine. Um, but to educate to a degree where you just know where to guide someone to the professional help 
and understand that you don't need to have the answers and you're not there to fix them. And that's even what a psychologist would say to you is their role to their clients is not to have the solutions. It's to guide them to what the pathways are to, for that, for that patient to find their own answers. Um, so it's, uh, I guess a lot of people see this area as being black and white and that's the difficult thing is that it's not, it's completely gray and it's really, it can be really complicated, but when you boil it down, people just want to be heard and seen. And when we work alongside um, our, our people in hospitality, I think we're very, we get a very unique insight into the way they tick and to their moods and behaviours and how they're really feeling because what we do is can be very stressful and how we react under pressure can be very exposing. And often you're probably the first person that's ever noticed if someone's not right or you're a bit worried about them or they seem a bit, you know, they seem a bit rocky. And for them to be seen by someone, um, for you to identify like, is everything okay, um, can mean the world and it could turn someone's life around by simply asking that very basic question of, are you okay? Um, there's a great a unit that I did in third year university was human behaviour in extreme environments. And this is studying areas such as space and Antarctica, the military. And there, there was a slide that came up that had the negative psychological outcomes um, of extreme environments of these places. And the parallels to me was just like, oh, my God, that is hospitality, that you know, social confinement, limited communication, um, enforced social interactions, dangerous environments. You know, we've got my mind straight away went to chefs. You've got hot environments, sharp objects, perhaps people not paying full attention and could burn you, could accidentally cut you, could slip over. Like there's so many, there were so many parallels and missing important birthdays and holidays and um, that, those environments have this incredible amount of money and research that can screen out people that may be more prone to having a negative experience by working in those environments. But we don't have that luxury. We don't, we're facing one of the biggest labor force and workforce shortages we've ever seen in our industry because of COVID. Um, and we don't have that luxury of screening nor the resources to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on psycho psychological testing so we just have to you know man up as they say or you know see it through and we've just got to be aware that our extreme environments can have a negative impact and what can we do to remedy that is by having a positive workplace culture and a culture that can um that can be mentally healthy and prioritises mental health for their team. You're regarded as one of uh, Australia's best restaurateurs. You've won many accolades. Um, the last year and a half has been very challenging. What sort of a business advice do you have for, for people out there in the industry that have had stresses in this time and are looking for solutions? 
Control the controllables. So focusing on what you can control and what is within your control. Uh, there's a great, it's a concept essentially called the circle of control by Stephen Covey, who is um, one of the biggest um, movers of popular psychology and, and, and positive psychology, I should say, and wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And um, it focuses on what that circle of control are things like your emotions, your moods, who you spend time with, all those things that you have complete control well, to a degree over. And I think as business owners in a world at the moment where we're at the mercy of government decisions, of maybe rogue premiers, um, of people escaping quarantine and doing the wrong thing and sending half of the state into lockdown, um, which is just what we've experienced in Tasmania. Fortunately, not my end of the state, the other one, but um, you can only con- expend the energy on what you can control. So spending that time as well to identify what works for you in terms of your self-care, your boundaries, um, and your um, what will fill your cup, like with the good stuff, um, is a time to set aside literal time to spend on yourself and to not think that it's selfish or that you're going to waste time or you need to be in the restaurant 24-7. Taking that time away and prioritising yourself will pay back in, you know, tenfold than thinking you need to be on the ground all the time. Um, Yeah, by, like, spending the time on yourself, I think, is is the the overall advice I've got, is to just prioritise what works for you. The industry has changed so much in the last couple of decades. What, was, what sort of role has technology played in the ability to run a business better and allow you to have that time to look after yourself as well? There are definitely some great benefits in terms of technology. And actually, I was just writing a, a workshop, an update on a workshop that I'm running in terms of what it come, what it means to be a mentally healthy workplace there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen before you actually focus on the mental health stuff. And that stuff is good job design, good um, workplace practices and focusing on things such as having your rosters out in advance instead of, you know, there's still venues I hear of today that put their roster out on a Sunday night for the following week. Like that's just, it's it's not cool anymore. You can't you can't do that to people with and yeah. So having using the technology that's out there by making your life easier, which means business owners can spend less time on accounting. So get the get the online stuff, get zero, get your get your accountant to help you with um having better accounting systems, work smarter, not harder, have a digitized rostering system, have a digitized payroll, um, have a way of communicating with your team that's you need to send one message instead of multiple through a platform of rostering, like with the deputy app. Um, There are so many great technology things that can work in your favor, 
that are really important for good job design, which can reduce the stress of your of you as an owner and operator, but as well for your team. Um, having a point of sale, like it still astounds me, some of the places I go to, they still do handwritten dockets. Like it's just, I just don't know how we, how why you would bother to do that in 2021. Um, there's some great systems out there that it's all there to make your life easier. So I think that should be utilised. And then, of course, you've got apps that help with mindfulness and meditation and they can all seem, you know, hoo-ha and wishy-washy. But the, the science is there. That's why all these apps exist. That's why all the literature is out there because that stuff does work for your mind and your mental health. You've had an incredible career, but you're still so young. What is it that you love about the industry and what you do? I love that no two days are ever the same. Um, I love the people, customers and the team alike. You get to meet incredible people that you would never normally get to meet, maybe sitting at a desk in a corporate environment. Um, I love that you can change a person's day with a good coffee with a good meal, with a story, with a bit of banter, with a customer. Um, I love that restaurants can be so transformative in such positive ways. And that when COVID happened and particularly in the lockdowns, I mean, we're fortunate Tassie hasn't had many lock, you know, two really, um, two lockdowns compared to the rest of the country. Um, for the world to realise how important restaurants are and dining out is to our mental well-being and how much we get out of it um, is I feel privileged to be a part of that and I feel privileged that I get to deliver that to um, countless people every day. Society is opening up and we're moving forward. What are you most looking forward to beyond uh, this period? Um, seeing international visitors again travel international again so that you can come back with ideas and um, inspiration. Um, I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most personally. Um, but from a professional sense, I am looking forward to that mental health and illness is prioritised and if it's a silver lining of how hard COVID has been is that we can't turn away from the importance of mental health anymore. Um, we're beginning to understand it more because I think so many people that have not experienced poor mental health or a mental illness, a lot of people have had glimpses of what that is actually like through COVID um, and that we can all now perhaps be a little bit more empathetic to those that do suffer greatly and from no no choice of their own. Um and that we can move forward and be turn the mental health of our country around and be really involved in the prevention and early intervention that our country needs to turn this crisis around. Well, Bianca, it's been an absolute honour to have you on the luminaries on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, you're an inspiring, incredible person. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 
Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.